Hi, and welcome to the Voice of 5G podcast. It's a podcast from Ericsson with me, Paul Cowling. And me, Janina Townend. Hello, Janina. Hi, <laughs> Paul. Paul is scribbling. Paul is scribbling. <laughs> you needed to make some notes? I've gone back to old-fashioned technology. Yes, but still works very well. Same here. Yeah, and I, then I can't read, it, read my notes afterwards. So, as normal, we're great at podcasting, Paul. Yes. We're the best. <laughs> we're the best. Hi, everyone listening. <laughs> yes. We should win awards. Welcome to the Voice of 5G. We are the professional podcasters Janina Townand and Paul Cowling. And we're back with another exciting episode, which will have the content of an airplane crash. <laughs> Not like this podcast started. <laughs> podcast movie. As started as. It will save us. It will save yeah. us. So we have exciting guests. We have Blaise Vincent, an Ericsson guy, focusing on mission-critical communications and especially with a service provider called Verizon, big service provider in the U.S. From there, we have Carlo Thompson, who is there as a technology development guy, but he's been focusing a lot on this new vehicle and the Thor vehicle and the Thor project recently, Tactical Humanitarian Operations Response. This is, <laughs> this is what's going to save our podcast, Paul. This is what's going to save our podcast. It sounds very Scandinavian, so it's quite good for us to be talking about it. Ah, yes, Thor, yeah. yes. Very Scandinavian touch. Ericsson equipment there at the back. And this is a way to put up a temporary 5G and 4G network, to put it simple. It is. And it's an amazing thing, right? It's a huge truck, a huge red truck. It's a huge red truck. Something that people have done probably all the way back to the time of GSM, really, is tried to create small mobile infrastructure that you can wheel out when you need it, literally wheel out when you need it. Yeah. But maybe we should explain what a mission-critical network is, Janina. We should start off with that. Let's go into Paul's Take Ramble. What is mission critical? Well, we, well, we all kind of know that the uh, phone network is there. And we all know that the first thing you want to do when, when something happens, like when there's a fire or a riot or whatever, is you want to call someone and see whether they're okay. But we know when we see the pictures from the TV, when there's things like hurricanes and that kind of stuff, maybe the normal mobile infrastructure doesn't fare too well when, when masts get knocked down, cables get cut and that kind of thing. Having reliable infrastructure in place at difficult times is a national security or a, a civil society need. And mission critical networks is a way of providing that secure communication in everyday use. It's used by the emergency services and maybe government agencies, and it provides a network for them. And it replaces, in many cases, the old fashioned like push-to-talk radios and that kind of thing. You know, when you see policemen walking around with a walkie-talkie. These days, they probably still walk around with a walkie-talkie, but instead of using just ordinary radio, they're connected to the mobile network. And you can connect also body cameras. You can connect up vehicles which have a local network on board. Hospitals, we did a podcast a long time ago, 
where we looked at the use of at 5G for connecting ambulances so that you could get the healthcare personnel at the hospital to actually have direct contact with the ambulance so they can get information ahead of time, but they can also help the people in the ambulance with diagnosis and advice. So lots of good uses. There are different ways you can, can do it. Sometimes they're built as part of a, an operator's public network. In some countries, they build a completely separate network, which is used for that. So for instance, in Sweden, there's a company called Terracom that has or is building networks which are used by different agencies. And then there are hybrid networks. You can uh, cooperate with an operator who gives you a good coverage. But of course, coverage is very often focused on where people are living and there may be areas where you want emergency cover which aren't so well covered by the public network. So then you can build your own parts of the network and have them work together. Or maybe you use the access network, which is say all the masts and radios and antennas and stuff from a public network, but connect them to a special mobile core that handles the traffic for your emergency services. Those are kind of the options. But here today, we're going to talk about something which is a little bit special, which is what's called cells on wheels. And that's when you build a kind of standalone network, which you can take on a truck and roll it out to where you need it, which is the, uh, the long and the short of it. That is really good. And Does that cover your every need? That is a really good introduction. And if people want to know more about the actual networks for mission-critical communication, last year we did an interview with the Finnish Erillisverkot about how they are planning to scale up the full networks, uh, including 5G, possibilities to have 5G across the country of Finland, working together with service providers and the government. But now we're going into the nitty-gritty details of this little network on wheels, where it's like, oh, you don't have to go in and set up the actual masts and antennas and on site. Okay, we need this network to work now. And that can be both in an emergency situation, but of course the the technology can be used in other situations as well, adding networks to an event. Yeah, I mean, if you've got that capability, you can use it in other circumstances, of course. Yeah. So this is just an example of the use of a of a mobile 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 a mobile network. <laughs> yes, the Verizon Thor vehicle and they won an award for this particular innovation at the ICCA. Paul, explain here, ICCA. The International Critical Communications Awards and they won a Critical Communications Award, strangely enough. Yeah, isn't it? For their critical communication at the Critical Communication World event. There's a lot of critical going on. <laughs> yes, which is of course that's a stamp that this is a really frontline and is something that other companies and other countries are looking for uh, disaster communication in disaster areas. So uh, let's dive into it, shall we? Let's listen to Blaze and Carlo and talk a little bit about the Thor project and what it has been doing lately. Cool. To start off, we're going to do a little bit of a background here. <laughs> when we first heard about this solution, it was called Networks on Wheels. And this was, I think, last year. And it was presented as a fully functional 4G and 5G network installed in a box with wheels 
and it can be rolled into different areas that needed networks like an event or customer location or something like that. And you can plug it into the wall and you have a magically, it will be fully functional 5G network and Danma Verizon and Ericsson. Now though, we got a call from our colleagues in North America and we were very excited to hear that this project has grown and now you call it Networks on Wheels on steroids. That's, that sounds very interesting. Carlo Thompson from Verizon. Can you tell us a little bit of your background and yourself and about this project? Carlo, hi and welcome yeah, to the podcast. Ab- absolutely. Hi. <laughs> hi. Hi, everyone. <laughs> yeah, so my background, I've been in wireless since like 99. So I've been around wireless since the first G, right? So I kind of got the fortune to see all of the different technologies that went into uh, how we consume different type of use cases on our devices. So now we are in 5G, right? And it was a pretty exciting one for me because it was kind of a divestiture from our normal Gs that we experienced, right? And that we had massive capacity, bandwidth, low latency. So my journey brought me from the networks, engineering networks, to now technology development. We're building the new technology that customers are asking for, demanding things that we could utilize in the future that use the power of 5G to enable it, right? So there's things that 4G will be able to enable, 5G certainly will be able to enable, but there's things that specifically towards the 5G side, right? Because we need this massive capacity and low latency to be able to do it. So that's what I'm working on of late with Verizon is there's doing technology development into that story, if you will, of how 5G can help in any circumstance that you could imagine for a customer. Yeah. And is this then one of the projects that you've been working on, this Networks on Wheels? Were you there at the start of the project? I was there probably a year after they started Network on Wheels. I joined a technology development group when we started rolling out these things like you mentioned on wheels in a cabinet to different locations all around the country. Mm-hmm. In the world for that matter, right? Because we even put one uh, London Mid-City, which I help with as well. Is it still called Networks on Wheels? Yeah, so when we migrated from the prototype, which was Network on Wheels, to the actual consumer product that Verizon resells sells to the market, we have a, a new name, which we call On-Site Networks on the Verizon mm-hmm. side. On-Site Network. And you also talk about the technical humanitarian operations response, is that part of this, the Networks on Wheels? Is that a different flavor? Not so much that it's a different flavor, but it's a new way of thinking about humanitarian tactical missions in that we took our Network on Wheels Mm -hmm. and we actually put it on wheels, right? So (laughs) we have it on a vehicle that could drive around the country and instead of rolling it with being the you know, container from different location to location, this vehicle just drives around and we're able to set up 5G networks wherever that uh, vehicle is parked. Yeah. When there's a flood or a hurricane or something, you roll that in afterwards and set up coverage. If the- yeah, a- absolutely, right? So Verizon is a very robust network with all of the available bands that we have in our pipeline, basically 5G, millimeter wave, anything, right? So in most cases, you go around the country, you're going to see all of these technologies deployed. However, <laughs> when we get into a disaster type of scenario, right, 
the network could be impacted by whatever is going on, even as resilient as Verizon's network is. It could be impacted where now we don't have millimeter wave in a location. How do we recover those low latency use cases that first responders need to operate? This is our offering to do that uh, very thing, is to recover those high quality, resilient use cases that first responders would need, right? When they go to respond and try to save lives. Mm -hmm. And that is all sorts of things. Looks like, first of all, need to describe the <laughs> the network's a wheel and wheels a little bit. It's a huge red truck. And all our listeners can, of course, Google this and have a look for themselves. Huge red truck. And then there is a trailer added to it. I guess this is then a question. Perhaps we should go to the other side. Blaze Vincent from Ericsson. You're Carla's partner from the Ericsson side, right? Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what is it that's in this huge truck? Absolutely. Let me do a brief introduction of myself. I'm Blaise Vincent. I work as a technology solutions development manager in the CTO office uh, dedicated to Verizon. I'm very passionate about solving society's biggest problems using the greatest and latest technology that is available to us. And I can partner with such a great partner as Verizon. It makes my life very exciting and interesting. So to answer your question about Thor, I need to explain why we actually started working on this. You know, if you look at our modern world, we are encountering emergencies of all sorts of types. There are global emergencies such as the pandemic. There are short-term emergencies like hurricanes or wildfires going on around us. And in any emergency, it is a very chaotic situation, very complex situation, and a lot of people are involved. For example, the public who are part of the emergency needs to communicate to their friends and family that they are safe or they need help. The government officials need to know the real-time situation in a much more detail, and they need to make the society aware about the conditions at a real-time basis. The first responders who are going there to help the people need to communicate between themselves. So in all of these scenarios, and the general public need to know what is going on regularly, especially when their friends and family are involved in any emergency. In all of these scenarios, communication is the greatest need that we will see in these situations. And how can we help in this situation with the latest and greatest communication technologies that we have developed in Ericsson, especially the 5G technology, is something that we have started to think about. And that resulted in this project called Thor. So Thor is a rapidly deployable emergency response network solution. And when I say that, as Carlo rightly said, it contains a full-fledged network that is on a ruggedized vehicle, and we can drive the vehicle to the emergency where the emergency is happening and quickly bring up the network. The network contains the entire 4G, 5G millimeter wave, and 5G standalone network functionality included in the vehicle. It can operate isolated without any other external connectivity. On top of this 4G, 5G network technology, we also have microwave links that are created from the truck to the trailer so that they can communicate as a joined logical unit 
between each other. On top of that, we have the satellite link created from both the truck and the trailer. So if any communication requirements are needed to the outside world, and let's say the entire terrestrial communication system is not working at the point, we can use the satellite system to communicate to the outside world. It also has a full-fledged operation and management system on board. So there is not even need of having connectivity for operations as well. You can operate it locally. And this is the network part. And just a network is not enough. You also need to run some applications together with it to make the best use of it. So we have an on-board mech server or an edge compute server where we can run some applications locally and that can help the first responders use the system to do some advanced use cases that's not possible when i say advanced use cases the primary use case that we understood from the public safety community is the ability to communicate with each other and when we look at what's the technology that's out there, it's the legacy two-way radio system that has been around for 20, 30 years. So we have enabled 4G and 5G communication to interwork with the legacy technologies. So multiple emergency groups that are coming for the response can talk to each other using their existing devices, as well as the new 4G, 5G smartphones they have without any changes. And once you have the ability to communicate with each other, the next important thing that they would need is the situational awareness. They need to know what's going on, especially when it's dark, when it's smoke filled, when it's a big fire or when everything is broken down, they need to know the situation very clearly. For that, we use a range of techniques such as computer vision, cameras, drones, AGVs, a body mounted camera, helmet mounted camera, all of that information can be brought back to the vehicle and processed locally using the application that is mounted there. And that can generate a real-time situational awareness information for the local commanding operations personnel. And he can in real-time communicate that back to the people who are working for the emergency. By the way, when we are driving this vehicle to a location, we cannot expect any resources to be available, such as power or fuel or anything. So the vehicle is equipped with 150 hours of fuel that it can run continuously. And then once that is over, we have two backup generators that can make the vehicle operate for several more days without any additional fuels. And all of these things has to be operated in a very easy manner. You cannot send 10 engineers to make this work. So everything is configured using a software that runs on a tablet. And with a click of a button, you can bring up the network, you can bring up the application, you can launch the drone, it can go and collect the video feeds, come back and then feed it back to the application locally. Wow. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, the network's on wheels. Oh, okay, you can plug it into the, the main socket. But here, there might not be a socket to plug it into. It's amazing. So everything is in this big vehicle. Yes. Yeah. So, Carlo, America's a big place. How many of these have you got? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a great question. And we always get asked that same question, to be honest with you. So this being kind of like spearheaded by our group, right? We're on the technology, right? With the help of uh, partners like Ericsson. So we're doing rapid prototyping of what something like this could look like. And then the idea is that the scale would come from taking the most sensible parts of something like a Thor and then have it permeate through the different 500 some odd assets that Verizon has in its fleet. 
say we figure that situational awareness application on the edge is a good avenue for first responders, that's what they're demanding. We could equip our other assets in our fleet with that type of technology. So that's what we're doing right now. We're exploring that and then trying to scale it out to the rest of the assets. So when you say assets, you mean that you can take some of the functionality from this and put it into the regular trucks that are going out and maintaining tennis sites? So yeah, assets are cows, colts, different forms of farm animals that we have in our fleet, right? <laughs> Sell on wheels yeah. type of assets. So would this then be, for instance, the technology would be used not just for emergency, sort of this kind of of emergency situation that the Thor vehicle is made for, but could be just a network going down somewhere due to some malfunctioning or lack of electricity or something. You can take parts of this and reuse that in other scenarios. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Right. So, I mean, there's a large capital outlay when you go to design a network based on traffic and do it on a continent the size of U.S., Mm. right? So there's going to be areas around the country where there's no residents necessarily living there, like you think a golf course. (laughs) No one is really living on a golf course. However, they may have an event at a golf course that requires like some sort of use case, for example, right? So how do we have that use case be presented if we don't have millimeter wave in a, on the 18 hole? <laughs> you know, so we, we could bring a vehicle like this, right, um, that has its use cases, 5G millimeter wave to wideband out to that location and be able to do that use case while they have the golf event happening. Yeah. So there's various different use cases where we have this thing we call technology gaps exist. And technology gaps could be any amount of things, right? They could be no access to a very low latency cloud environment, or it could be no access to ultra wideband, right? Because of the terrain, it could be various different things, right? Backhaul limitations. That is a technology gap in that area that you're looking to do a thing, a use case. And then you bring an asset similar to Thor out there, you now are able to do that use case locally on scene. Mm. So Paul, Mm. it's not the number of vehicles that's important. It's what they can do. (laughs) 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 It's how big they are. It's what they can do for you. Good, good. So this Thor project that we're talking about right now, that is very much made for emergency situation. Who are your customers, Carlo, in this case? Yeah, Thor, yes, definitely has a bright (laughs) bright red Verizon response all wrapped around that vehicle. Our customer in this case is our first responder community, right? It could be fire, police, FEMA, all of those folks that would respond to a disaster, to an incident is our customers in one sense. And then you have the general public in another sense, right? So the ability to set up a private network for first responders to have really reliable coverage and then a commercial network for regular folks that need to dial 911 is kind of how the vehicle itself it is designed right and are you using things like network slicing for that to be able to separate and create multiple virtual networks perhaps that's a question for blaze yeah so the the tor vehicle is set up with a full-fledged 4g and 5g core with all sorts of latest and greatest capabilities we can actually build an end-to-end network slice in the vehicle and we have actually demonstrated that very recently as well in the future we can build advanced use cases using capabilities such as network slicing for different stakeholders and different users (laughs) very cool 
<laughs> so when it comes to a hurricane in Florida called Ian, now during October 2022, and Carlo, the truck was there, put into action, right? Yeah, it was there. I was there as well. I got to see some of that firsthand. I'm very devastated and uh, disheartening to see just what happens in that type of uh, environment. I have never seen that before. How were you called in? Or was it the truck? Is that like a service? Like, okay, we need that truck now. Or is it like, oh, Verizon, we need an emergency network here. Yeah, absolutely. So Verizon has this uh, mantra in the disaster sense that we call Verizon runs to a crisis. And we actually do, right? So we have a lot of different disaster recovery vehicle assets in our fleet that whenever there is an incident, we're staging those things close to where it could be, if it's if we know prior that you know, this is going to happen, we're staging those things close. We have a central point of contact usually with the government and the different entities. We also have Verizon Crisis Response Manager, Verizon Frontline in most are all of the markets around the country, right? So we might have two or three people in like Florida area, for example, that uh, 1-800 number from first responder would basically get to one of those folks and then they will go out and help them with whatever they need, right? Whether it's a connectivity device, whether it is connectivity service, they have the ability to bring that out to them. So the larger effort than like an EON, um, Basically, what would happen is they have this thing called an EOC that Verizon is a part of. And based on where the impacted areas are, we would know that from our network operation center. And we would know where uh, first responders and community is looking for recovered service if the service is down, right? And then that's where we deploy our assets. And so that's a similar way in th how Thor was brought to Florida is that those managers on the side of Verizon that's taking the calls from customers and seeing which assets are going where, they would reach out to whoever is the owner of that specific asset vehicle in Verizon. And then they will tell them, hey, bring it on down, right? And what happened then when he went down there? you got to imagine it's like a pretty chaotic scene, right? So there's no power, right? So there's hundreds and hundreds of power restoral trucks on the road that there's a Thousands and thousands of cars leaving, thousands and thousands of cars coming in to help with the response. So normal one hour traffic is now four hours, right? For example. So think things are very difficult in that stage, right? So when we get down there, basically we show up at the specific location that we need to help out. Uh, the location that Thor was actually deployed at was at Fort Myers Island. Fort Myers Island is one of the hardest hit areas down there and pretty much all the houses were wiped away and some folks didn't leave, right? So there was a large search and rescue effort that was happening right where the vehicle was parked, right? So you have first responders flying drones, you have cadaver dogs, you have um, a lot of search and rescue missions happening right behind where the truck was parked. So they used that coverage that we were providing to either by flying a drone and sending video or data back or using it just for connectivity back to command. Yeah, that's when the technology is really can save lives sometimes, right? So you've worked with several different uh, partners and even other companies or other in, a, in an operation like this. Yeah, it has to be, right? So it has to be a, a very tightly knit uh, partnership between different companies, right? Because... You, you don't really see the technology behind the scenes, right? So 
the technology behind the scenes is hard. Automation is hard. You know, edge compute is hard to get applications onboarded and running in the way that you think of it end to end. So we have to have a lot of partners that's that are willing to work with us, right? To say, hey, your application used to live on the cloud. I need it to run locally now. How do we make that happen, right? So we have to get partners that's willing to do that to be able to take their application from where it resides and then have it end up on the uh, edge cloud that we have locally. So what's the future for this? Will there be a lot more players doing this, seeing as a, an important thing to invest in? Or how? what do you see is coming out of this? What's next? Yeah, and it's a great, that's a great question. And from my personal view is that once we have our customers getting more and more accustomed to specific use cases, when it's not available, <laughs> they're going to be calling us and say, hey, I can't do AR and VR <laughs> out here on the golf course, <laughs> right? <laughs> I'm not, I'm not, we you know, that's, that's, a extre <laughs> that's yep. an extreme case, but that's the future, right? The future is moving to this metaverse and things like that, where people are going to consume technology and use technology differently. And then 5G is enabling that, right? So when that's not available, you know, when they can't walk around and do the things that they normally do, we have to respond, right? So if it's an outage type of situation, we have to respond to recover that specific type of service. And how do we recover it if it's some some sort of terrestrial network issue, right? We have to come in and we have to bring something like this out, right? It's not easy. <laughs> Blaze could probably tell you more than anyone that it's not easy to get all of that stuff working all together where we could deploy it simply. But that's what we're here for. We're here to take those hard challenges up and then try to figure out how we get that into the hands of the consumers. Yeah. Yeah. So in, in the future, if you're, if you're planning a big celebrity wedding, then Verizon's phone number is going to be <laughs> at the top of your list to make sure all the, uh, all the TikTok and Instagramming. Absolutely. For a fee. For a fee. We'll do that with <laughs> Ericsson's help. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I would like to jump in and add as well. Yes, all of the, those are fun use cases where we can have value-added services to people who can pay. But I believe this is much more important for actual problems in the society that ability to communicate in a situation may mean the difference between life and death for people. So my response to what is future looking out for this is three different things, right? We will continue to innovate by bringing in new technology. So new technology introduction is one of the things that both me and Carlo are passionate about and working towards. Some of the items that we are considering is to include non-terrestrial networks. So this is a oh, yes. growing area where you bring in the satellite connectivity to the regular communication. And the second one would be ship to shore solutions where there are marine vehicles out there that are often involved in a large tsunami or a torrential hurricane kind of scenario and how they can communicate to the land and vice versa. And of course, we will be continuing to innovate on use, new use cases for new verticals. So critical infrastructure community is not just public safety first responder community, right? There is the utility industry, there is the defense industry, there is the law enforcement industry. All of them have got similar needs like this where communication 
becomes the baseline of everything that they do in a scenario. So we are going to build new use cases into this. And of course, we'll also add special events or sports events and concerts. Uh, but critical infrastructure in my mind is the biggest group of people who needs solutions like this. And finally, both Ericsson and Verizon needs to commercialize this solution and monetize this solution. So we will be looking at how to carve out commercial ready packages that we can actually now deliver to our customers from this project. So this project is an innovation project. We'll keep on adding new things, but when one set of use cases mature, we are going to bring that to the commercial readiness phase as well. Wow. And I mean, I guess it's it can be also all over the world. I mean, Verizon is just one operator in one country, right? I mean, it, this is this is something that then can spread to other areas, other countries, other customers. So, uh, Carlo, is there anything you want Ericsson to do to make this project a success? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. So the partnership that we have over the years has been very strong, right? So the idea is to just keep that tight integration from Ericsson side to Verizon side where we could help each other be successful, right? So different technologies are coming to the forefront um, with 5G getting to release 16, release 17. And those are going to help out with how we view getting the technology into the customer's hands. So things like what Blaze mentioned with the terrestrial networks, different features of the uh, 3GPP standards are coming about where that could actually help us have the technology be more available to our customers, right? So, you know, graduate to 5G SA with slicing and things like that. So there's a lot of things that we could probably help each other out with. And it's just about keeping that tight integration from Ericsson to Verizon where we could help each other be successful. Any comments on that, please? No, we are always glad to bring the latest and greatest technology to Verizon. And we have been demonstrating that in this project. Most of the components that we have used to build the network in this project is brand new, which uh, was done for the very first time. In fact, the 5G SA dual mode core that we installed, it was many months before it was generally available to, to others. We have done, we have pushed the envelope of innovation to get some of the components in this project and we, have, we are committed to doing so uh, with Carlo. And this is one of the things that I wanted to mention as well. Often we get asked, what are some of the challenges that you had in this project or you would have in such a project? And when you look at technology innovation projects like this, the challenges are, Number one, the ability to have the stakeholders get your vision. That is challenging. Many people would think, yeah, this is a good idea, but they won't stand behind it. They would just pass it on. But getting the value and the vision believed by certain people is important. And in this case, we were successful. Our Both of our executive leadership and our customers actually believed in this vision. You have multiple resources or building blocks of solving something lying around in different organizations. And many of our organizations works in silos. So bringing all of them together and horizontally integrating those components together is one of the biggest challenges in projects like this. This is where we continue to bring new technologies to the table, yes, but there is always this challenge of identifying those building blocks and bringing them to integrate and work together with other piece parts of the solution. And that's where the actual bulk of our work is there. In fact, to make this Thor project successful, Ericsson dedicatedly built a lab in Europe 
and appointed resources, R&D resources to solve these problems first in the lab before we actually brought it out to Thor and built it again. So that's how we solve some of these problems. But we are excited, as we said, there is so many new technologies that are out there and having these technologies at the disposal of the people when they need it can mean the difference between life and death for our society. So we will be pushing forward to overcome all of these challenges and solve these problems in the coming days. So I kind of mentioned, just to dovetail on what Blaze is saying, I have the saying, right? So we're doing the hard work right now with technology and all of these integrations and trying to figure out how we operate such a network on the edge, right? And then basically that hard work turns into the easy button for our customers, <laughs> right? So make it easy for the customer to utilize the service that you created, right? And it doesn't matter how hard that, that integration takes or how hard it is to get to that. We just have to do it because that's what they're demanding, right? So that's what we're doing now. We're doing that hard work of integrating, thinking about operations, figuring out how to get all of these partners talking on the same plane. And then ultimately we end up with a product that our customers are easily accessible to our customers, right? So yeah, the best of partnerships when it's both development and using the products. Yeah. Amazing. Lots of organizations from around the world have seen our publications, our news articles on this particular project and have reached out to both Verizon and Ericsson teams to know more. And they have been expressing interest to partner with us or build some of these solutions for their own use cases as well. Yeah. And uh, Ericsson has this emergency team as well called Ericsson Response. Blaze, is there a connection there or will they pick up on this technology and or are they using it already today? Yeah, Ericsson Response always goes out and support the local operator community in that area where an emergency has happened. And when their network has suffered serious problems or is unable to support the needs there, Ericsson Response can quickly and rapidly deploy the additional resources that are needed to bring up their networks back. So if that operator would be interested in bringing this solution to their portfolio, of course, Ericsson and together with Ericsson response can help out building that capability for them. So fascinating, so good information and so important. And of course, it's one of those pieces of equipment you hope you never have to use it. Yeah, absolutely. Putting it into emergency situations, but great that it's there. It is like insurance, right? You wouldn't want to make a claim as much as you can, but in the scenarios where it's needed, it becomes extremely critical resource that you can use. Yeah, if I could dovetail off of something that Blaze mentioned, right, like the new use case parts of what he was saying, a big part of that, uh, I think, on one of those use cases could be VR and AR training, right? A lot of resources are spent on training first responders to respond to a specific incident. And VR and AR could actually help with that, right? So how do you get VR, AR into the hands of a country like US, every first responders hands. It's very difficult, right? So you need this solution to be set up almost everywhere, right? The alternative to that would be having assets like a Thor or others that are able to go out to your facility and set up this temporary AR, VR training for your first responders. And they'll end up save, saving money and they'll get the training that they need to save lives, right? So oh, yeah. there's a lot of different use cases that's coming about just from 5G technology, millimeter wave and edge compute that could help out 
even in blue sky days, right? So you have these blue sky days and then you have dark sky day, days, right? So blue sky days, they're doing mostly training and a lot of different things that they do to respond to when there's an incident. 5G could help out with that and technology that like what we're talking about right now could help out with that. Yeah, and then bring the training into actual places where they need to be to train yeah, with localities. Yeah, for sure. Super interesting. And so everyone's aware, so when we talk about AR and VR, we're talking about augmented and virtual reality. Just so you're on track, everyone out there. I hope that everyone knows that by now, right, Paul? Uh, yeah, I hope so. Yeah. And, and when Blaze talks about non-terrestrial networks, that's on our list of things to talk about on the podcast. Yes, that will be in a later episode. Thanks so much, Blaze Vincent from Ericsson and Carlo Thompson from Verizon for joining our podcast this time. It was great talking to you. Always a pleasure talking about exciting projects like this. Thank you. Thank you, gents. That was the interview with Blaze and Carlo about Verizon's store project, Tactical Humanitarian Operations Response. Any reflections? You mean apart from that little abbreviation (laughs) that crept in? Yeah. What is EOC? EOC is the Emergency Operations Centre. What is that? Well, that's kind of your hub for everything that's happening in an emergency. You need to coordinate the response between the different agencies and the different people on the ground. So you've got maybe uh, people from the fire service, you've got police, you've got maybe volunteer organisations on site, and you need to you know, keep track of what's happening, who's going where, what's what resources are needed. That's the hub, if you like, where everything happens to coordinate the response. And that can be in other places, but it could also be inside this van if needed. It can also be at a distance, right? I, I'm seeing, in my mind, I'm seeing this like place where the, with a lot of screens, with, <laughs> oh, a lot of computers. <laughs> is that right? Or is it something I, else? I don't know, to be honest, but I can imagine in an emergency, you might not have a room with a lot of screens in just the right place. It reminds me a little bit like when you're watching like the TV detective shows and they set up an operations or a control room, incident room, near to something that's happened. It's that kind of incident room thing where people get together and keep everything running. Mm, Now we know, EOC. And oh my God, it hit my gut really there when Carlo talked about going up with drones and like seeing bodies. Oh my God. Even though we talk about the the technology behind, that is just gut-wrenching. I mean, it's important stuff and it's it's very hard to put yourself in that situation if you've not been there. Yeah, it's serious stuff and... We have a number of colleagues that volunteer to to work with what we call Ericsson Response. And they've been doing this type of work for decades, going to disaster areas or helping to restore communications for places that have been hit by floods or earthquakes and that type of thing. It's an important area. It is an important area. Communication is so important when these things happen and uh, yeah that people can get the the best information but i mean it's important for the response but it's also important for the people that are the ordinary man on the street who's in the area the the area's been devastated what's happening to my relatives or now how do i let people know i'm okay or how do i get in touch and find people in my my near family that are, are missing or lost or maybe not missing but i just need to get in touch with them so yeah it's a really important topic well, we're happy to see that technology can help. 
Uh, good. Okay, that was it for this episode about the Thor project and the issue critical communications. Thanks everyone for listening and bye. Bye. Remember to like, comment, subscribe. If you like this podcast, it really helps. We have a great team of people we're working with, but when it comes down to it, a lot of work is done by us too. And we weren't hired to do podcasting, Paul. We're not. I'm not getting paid for this. <laughs> so please, if you want us to continue, give us some good reviews and recommend us to your colleagues. And if you want to contact us, email is best. And which email is it, Paul? 5G podcast at ericsson.com. Ah, you're so great. And, you know, out there, we love your suggestions and feedback, so please reach out to us. Ericsson is a Swedish multinational networking and telecommunications company started in 1876 and headquartered in Schiester, just outside Stockholm. We sell infrastructure, software and services in the information and communications technology for telecommunications service providers and enterprises, including, among others, 3G, 4G and 5G equipment and IP and optical transport systems. We employ around 100,000 people and operate in more than 180 countries worldwide. Ericsson has over 57,000 granted patents and has been a major contributor to the development of the telecommunications industry and is one of the leaders in 5G.